If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Nick Schacht, Senior Vice President for Professional Development and Global Operations at the Society for Human Resource Management. Before we get to that interview, though, we want to highlight a resource as well as a new initiative that we've launched. So first for the new initiative, we've mentioned in recent episodes that we're collaborating with the folks at 100 Reviews to launch a new Review My LMS site. That site is now ready to go, and the first stage of making it as valuable as possible to you is to collect reviews. It works like this. If you contribute a review to the site, you get access to all of the other reviews on the site at no charge. The review process is really straightforward. Just go to reviewmylms.com, click give a review, and follow the instructions for completing the brief questionnaire. You'll get the satisfaction of helping out peers at other organizations, and you will also have continuing access to reviews of other systems as they come in. While we're on the topic of Review My LMS, we want to be sure to thank the founding sponsors of that site. We feel like the ability to get high-quality, dependable reviews from peer organizations has been a gap in the association and broader learning business market for a time now, and so we're really excited to see that it will soon be filled with support from the following companies, Community Brands, Digitel, NextThought, and Web Courseworks. We will link to each of those companies from the show notes for this episode, which you can find at leadinglearning.com slash episode 113. And if you're looking for a learning management system, we really encourage you to visit these companies and find out more about what they have to offer. And I will mention that reviews have started coming in, so we're getting some there, and we look forward to seeing more added to it. And, uh, and now, before we actually turn to the interview with Nick Schacht, Given the nature of that discussion, we thought it would be a great time to point listeners again to our learning business maturity model as the resource for this episode. And the learning business maturity model gives you a framework, basically, for assessing the maturity of your learning business and then taking action to reach higher levels of maturity and performance. It may be just the thing if you're in the process of planning for the coming year, and you can download a copy for free simply by going to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 113. All right, so that's the initiative, and that's the resource, and so now to the interview. Uh, Jeff, both you and I had the chance to have an initial conversation with Nick Schacht, but you were the one who got to do the more formal interview for the podcast. What ground did the two of you cover? Well, I think both of us knew when we were talking to Nick initially that uh, we were having the kind of conversation that listeners at Leading Learning would want to be able to listen in on. In fact, I almost wish we had the uh, yeah. the recorder turned on during that conversation. We both we, we made that comment when we were talking to him. But uh, you know, Nick is is at Sherm. He's in a very high level role at Sherm, and and Sherm, of course, is really kind of the mothership for human resources. I mean, it's a it's a large organization, uh, like two hundred fifty thousand plus members out there, and so. We, we covered a range of topics, as you might expect. Uh, Nick's in a position to really have a unique view on uh, the, the types of topics that would be interesting to learners here. We talked about 
for example, the evolving role of human resources, which uh, that, that role really has changed quite a lot in organizations over the course of the last decade and, and perhaps longer than that. But uh, you know, being an HR person these days is not what it used to be at all. And, and we talk about that. We talk about the role of HR in making education and training decisions um, particularly important for organizations that are you know, trying to sell into, for example, corporate America and, and need to be connecting with the right people around that. And then we also talked quite a bit about competency frameworks, uh, both for individuals and organizations. And this is an area where it's clear Nick has a lot of interest, also has a lot of experience and some very good insights to offer. Um, and, then, and then finally, of course, we, we also talk about some of the learning trends that, uh, that Nick finds most exciting. So, you know, all in all, there's, there's a lot here in this conversation. I, I think that uh, leading learning listeners are really going to, going to enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Without further ado, let's roll the interview with Nick Schott. Hello out there, I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Nick Schacht. Nick is Senior Vice President for Professional Development and Global Operations at the Society for Human Resource Management. And before joining SHRM, he held CEO and other C-level positions at a range of learning and development companies, including one he founded. So suffice to say, Nick has some great perspectives to offer on the business of learning. Nick, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's uh, it's great to be here. Well, we really appreciate you making the time, and I just barely scraped the surface there in talking about your background. You you've had a, a long and and distinguished career in this whole field of learning, development, training, education, and I'd be interested to know how how did you wind up on the career path that you're on? Uh, pretty much accidentally, like a lot of people <laughs> who get into this profession, um, and it, it's kind of hard to believe now, looking back on it, that I've been in this. Um, I've been in this industry for more than three decades. Um, I got into this the way a lot of people in learning and development get into it. Um, I was doing some work, had some availability as a consultant, and somebody came to me and said, "I have a course, and I need an instructor. Can you do this for me?" And I said yes and got myself into something that I really didn't think about ahead of time, but ended up um, doing my first class and loving it and ended up um, being here for the rest of my life, proverbially speaking. And and just so you know, this can kind of happen to anybody. That first course was a five-day instructor-led class called Managing Idle Property for the U.S. Postal Service. Oh, Wow. That sounds like a uh, <laughs> it's a very very catchy title there definitely yeah well anyhow but in spite of that um, that got me into it well great well and and so now you have wound up at uh, I mean basically the the mothership for human resource professionals uh, and I and I noted that you know you have professional development and global operations in your title there so I mean it, it sounds like you've got a pretty expansive role can you tell us a, a little bit more about what you do at Sherm. Sure. And as you uh, alluded to, Jeff, SHRM is the largest association in the world that is devoted to HR professionals. Our goal is to help HR professionals advance their careers, advance their organizations, and then advance the profession. So if we think of professional development in that regard, what we are um, hoping to do is to help HR professionals develop themselves throughout their careers um, to, to help meet the needs of their organizations, to 
learn and to grow as the profession advances, and we do that in a variety of ways. Um, we do it through our meetings and our conferences, everything from the Sherm Annual Conference, which you know is a four-day event that has uh, had more than 15,000 people attending this year and hundreds of track sessions, to smaller specialty conferences. We have a series of virtual and um, in-person instructor-led seminars. We have a number of e-learning products, um, along with some online and digital um, assessments and uh, organizational support tools. And then, as you alluded to with the global operations role, I've also got responsibility for our corporate engagement efforts, essentially um, B2B sales, and then our global operations as we have uh, forums and education partners in more than 50 countries around the world. So that's that's a lot that uh, that you're responsible for there, and uh, you're particularly interesting as a guest on Leading Learning from my perspective because you are on the one hand representing a, a learning provider. Uh, obviously, Sherm you know provides a lot of education uh, and, and learning opportunities. You've just described some of them, and then on the other hand, you're representative of a group of people who are often very involved in learning decisions within organizations, you know, who, who's going to be trained and how, how talent's going to be developed. And I want, to, I want to cover both of those roles in the course of our conversation, but maybe to focus in on the second one first, that, that HR professional, the human resources professional. And, you know, my perspective is mostly an outsider on it, is that uh, the, the HR role has really evolved quite a bit over the last decade or so, that it's viewed as a much more strategic role within organizations. And I'd love to hear your perspective on that and then specifically how that relates into the role that HR plays in, in training and development as it happens these days within organizations. Well, it's a quite a wide-ranging topic, Jeff. I mean, we got, what, a half an hour for this well, you know, conversation? I, I try to throw out the big questions for us to wrestle with. So. No, that's, um, that's, that's actually um, good in a good place to start. If you think about HR and where HR is today, I mean, I'm, I, I'm occasionally watching this cable series that's set back in the 1960s, and when somebody new gets hired, they say, take them down to personnel. Mm-hmm. And so if you just even think about that terminology, I mean, HR has evolved and has continued to evolve from simply personnel, which is very transactional, filling out forms and getting somebody on board and getting them signed up so they can get paid, to a wide range of functions and specifically competencies that really enable not only a service economy but a knowledge economy because as you think as how organizations have evolved in the last 50 years especially I mean, you can go back further 100 years but even in the last 50 years where in the 1960s we were much more of a manufacturing economy with service sectors we are now a very squarely a service economy with a very heavy focus on knowledge with some manufacturing sectors and even the manufacturing sectors are affected by services and the management of knowledge and information. Accordingly, the people who populate our organizations are much, much more critical than any other asset, any other resource, any other component of what these organizations do. And so HR isn't just about finding people and getting them on board, although that still continues to be a huge part of the um, of the function. It's about 
making sure that an organization is looking for the right kind of talent, attracting that talent, and then developing that talent um, through a structured process that not only closes skills gaps today, but identifies the skills required for success tomorrow and provides development opportunities to meet those um, to meet those. Um, to close those skills gaps almost before they emerge. And so it's a much, much more strategic function in part because the role of people in organizations today is much broader and much larger than in the old process and equipment-oriented economy that you might have seen a half a century ago. I mean, does that kind of get at some of what you're looking at here? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I definitely have the sense of, well – you know, talent development and talent management have been such buzz- buzzwords for a while now, and and the HR professional is obviously right in the thick of it uh, when it comes to to terms like that, and making sure, as you said, it's not just about uh, getting people on the bus; it's getting the right people on the bus, and making sure that you know they're going to be good passengers and, and contributing to the the journey uh, of the organization. Uh, so that it's helpful to have that perspective, and then. You know, to to go to the the second part of what I was asking about, you know, if if you're on if you're in the position of uh, somebody who might be in the audience for for this podcast, listening in and thinking, you know, I've got learning and education offerings that I want to be able to 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 take into an organization, an enterprise, a company, uh, you know, whatever the the, the target is, um, how do I now need to interface with the human resources professional in in the first place, you know, what percentage of the time are they going to be leading decisions around training and development? Uh, What percentage are they going to be influencing or facilitating? And, you know, how do I convey to that HR person that uh, I've got the right solution and I understand this role that they're now trying to play within the enterprise? So that's a, you know, it's a really interesting question. And if we were to go back 30 years when I started in this in this business, it was pretty clearly a sort of a 50-50 split in terms of what percentage of training in organizations was bought by HR versus what percentage was bought by everybody else. And so back at that point in time, HR was much more um, much more likely to be the organization that was going to buy all of your commoditized training, so compliance training, for example, mm-hmm. or maybe generic leadership development programs, or you know basic communication skills, things relating to generic and general employee onboarding and that sort of thing. Um, where in the functional organizations, you got um, training purchased that was in support of specific projects or specific programs. So, for example, a program in developing contract managers would be brought um, would be bought by a contracting group. A program in developing project managers might be bought by a technical function or cross-functional group that was set up to improve the management of projects in an organization and so on. And so you had this sort of division of, if we want to turn to the language of competencies, had this division of basic competencies that everybody's got to have, which again reinforces the transactional stereotyped image of HR, to the more strategic competencies focusing on specific 
product lines or projects that had a more strategic importance to the organization. Now, that was 30 years ago. If we look at where we are going, um, even in today's um, in, in today's uh, economy, in today's organizations, HR professionals are often seen as HR people who are working hard to learn the business in which they operate, but where they see themselves going and where the profession is likely to end up is um, HR people are business people and senior business leaders who happen to have HR expertise. And so if you think about the role of a business leader in an organization or a business partner in an organization, that is an individual who is looking at what is the focus of the business, what's the strategic plan, what's the operating plan, what are the immediate targets that we have to achieve, and how do we structure the part of the organization for which I'm responsible in support of those goals. And if you think now about um, what HR professionals are more likely to be doing in the context of um, of buying training or buying learning and development, you know, to put it in, at that level, it's going to be much more set around the application of consistently, constantly changing competency models across a wide range of organizational functions and organizational skill sets, ranging from engineering to IT to sales to general management. Um, you know, so you'll, you'll bridge those, what we're seeing as transactional or essential um uh, pieces of HR's learning and development responsibility from decades ago through what the organization needs to be successful today, but even more importantly tomorrow, because with technology changing as quickly as it's changing and the application of that technology changing quickly, organizations that are going to be successful have to anticipate what skills and competencies they're going to be they're going to have to have to be competitive in five years. And so HR can be a key strategic player in that process if um, if the learning development process is positioned appropriately and accordingly. So that's that's how I would um, look at it. You know, so if you're if you're a provider of learning and development, um, don't think of yourself as don't think of yourself as a provider of a static set of products or courses or e-learning modules or something like that. Rather, look at yourself in the context of what competencies are you enabling individuals to develop and how are those competencies evolving over time and how are you then helping to position your clients to meet the evolving needs for competencies in their organizations. And, and so that would suggest that if you are a learning provider of some sort, you really need to develop an understanding of what competence, what competency models an organization is working with in the first place if you're going to be able to go in and, and effectively sell what a, whatever you're offering. It becomes a much more, I guess, consultative type of sale than a transactional sort of sale. Well, it does. I mean, look, there, there are still going to be those transactional sales. So if you think about it, 
from the standpoint of, um, oh, let's say um, cybersecurity compliance. I mean, you you could um, you could say, look, there's a pretty standard set of courses that you need there, pretty standard set of knowledge and skills for today because they'll change tomorrow. But you can go off and sell those, and and perhaps not worry a whole heck of a lot about cybersecurity competency models, except in the context of cybersecurity professionals. You know, the 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 people who are on the cutting edge of this. But in general, what I would say is that um, learning and development professionals as providers need to be competent in the concept of competency models and in the vocabulary of competency models. They need to be able to understand how you use a competency-based framework as a lens to identify and view and direct training and and development. So while they may not necessarily specifically be knowledgeable in the competency models used by a specific customer organization, they need to be prepared to go in and have the conversation with the organization around how are you identifying the competencies that are required for the given, you know, given segments of your population, and do you have a model for managing the development of those competencies? And if so, what does that look like? What do you need? Where are you going? I mean, all of those types of questions then follow on from there. <clears throat> and being prepared to engage at a peer level or as a leader in that conversation, as opposed to somebody who just gives a blank stare when the discussion is brought up, will um, inevitably position people for uh, for greater success. Right. And and you and I had a, um, a very interesting conversation be- before the one we're having today, and we talked a good bit about uh, competencies. And you made an in- interesting distinction between the individual competency model that tends to be used within an organization, and then an overall organizational competency framework. Can you talk a little bit about that distinction and, and how that plays out within organizations? Sure. So, an individual competency model is, at its core, a set of competencies which can be um, deconstructed into specific activities or behaviors that may that evolve with different levels of maturity for an individual in a specific role and the competencies by themselves don't help you a whole lot but when you combine them and configure them into job profiles you can then say for this job profile an individual needs these competencies in these measures and those measures will be different depending upon what the specific competencies are and then you can go out and measure an individual's actual existing competency against the competence against the desired competencies say here are the skills gaps or here are the competency gaps and develop a plan to close those gaps or develop a hiring plan to go off and find somebody who meets the job profile or whatever so that tells you what what an individual must be able to do to perform a role in an organization adding up a whole bunch of individual competencies does not add up to organizational competency. Organizational competencies are something else altogether. If you think about what organizations do, the analog to individual behaviors is organizational practices. And so really in in a um, complete 
competency ecosystem, you'll have an individual competency model which identifies the behaviors required of individuals in specific roles, and you'll have an organizational competency model which defines the practices in which an organization needs to be competent to succeed both strategically and tactically. And that's um, you know that's going to be based on um, yeah, a number of different things, but it'll be based in part on what's you know what's the state of the art in the industry or where where is an industry going with regard to a particular competency area? Um, how well is the organization performing those practices that it's it's decided that it's going to be implementing and so on? Um, the bottom line is that the two are the two the individual and the organizational are inextricably linked, in that for an organization to be excellent in its practice, it requires competent practitioners, and those are the individuals with the specific behavioral-driven competencies. And so I would be intrigued to know then, um, we've talked about how the the role of the HR professional has evolved, and and the HR professional, of course, is who you serve. And then, you know, the, the idea of individual competencies, the idea of organizational competency frameworks, how has all of this informed what SHRM itself is doing as a learning provider? How has it in, impacted your own strategy and, and, and tactics in, in that area? So what we um, – we have a history that – begins with the individual competency model. A number of years ago, SHRM developed um, our own body of competency and knowledge, which is our individual competency framework, which has formed a basis for the SHRM CP and SHRM SCP certifications, which we now offer for HR professionals. And so those um, have exactly the role that um, that I've laid out here. They define the um, behavioral and functional competencies for HR professionals across a wide range of um, of interpersonal behaviors and technical competencies. And when I say technical, I mean HR technical. So everything from talent acquisition to compensation and benefits to learning and development and a whole host of other functions performed by HR. What we're beginning to take a look at now is what is the um, organizational framework in which those individual competencies are applied and how do organizations themselves um, determine the level of their HR performance overall. And that then goes right back to the creation of an organizational um, an organizational competency framework of some form. And, you know, we're, we're still in the very, very early stages of talking about this and thinking about this. So I don't really have anything that, um, that I could show or metaphorically describe, I guess, in the way of pictures or diagrams or even defined vocabulary yet. But I would predict that in the coming, um, in the coming time periods, we will see something like that emerging, and that will then provide us this umbrella within, the, within which these competent HR practitioners can function with a very clear strategic direction and mandate. And to achieve what, what you're trying to achieve, I mean, you've obviously got a, 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 a large, you know, a global uh, group of, of members that you're trying to, to serve. I'm wondering, and I know you're, you know, relatively new to, to SHRM, but um, I mean, how much has, has technology made possible around something like, you know, managing competencies, managing what you're talking about that maybe, maybe just wasn't possible 30 years ago. You've given that as a a point of reference. I mean, could what you're talking about now really have been done 30 years ago or is technology really making it much more possible to, to do that now? Um, well, 
Could it have been done 30 years ago? Yeah, but it would have required <clears throat> a lot of people with um, a lot of pencils and very large sheets of paper. Right. I mean, yeah, because that's I mean, look. It, I, my the first part of my career I was in the Navy's nuclear propulsion program, and when they built the very first nuclear-powered submarine, they had a um, a whole bunch of clerks, basically accounting clerks, sitting down with um, Marchand calculators, which were the ones that had the punch the punch numbers on the top of them and the little handle that you pulled each time you wanted to execute an operation. They were using that to calculate nuclear flux inside a nuclear reactor core. And for the first nuclear submarine core, they calculated a total of three flux points inside the core. Um, and that was deemed enough to get that thing safely to sea. Um, you fast forward a number of decades, and of course, you're using computers to model nuclear flux throughout the core in an incredibly sophisticated way. So the short answer is, yeah, you could have done it, but it would have been primitive, and you wouldn't have the benefit of the incredible amounts of information that we do have out there, not just in terms of identifying um, individual job profiles and assessing individual competency gaps and then tracking those, because there are systems that are set up to do that in, in conjunction with learning management systems, but also in terms of of accumulating the amounts, vast amounts of data regarding what organizations are doing and more importantly, what the impact of what those organizations are doing is with regard to organizational performance and collecting that data on an ongoing basis and organizing it and presenting it and so on. The automated tools we have at our disposal make it much easier not only to perform those tasks, but for people, individuals to get meaningful reports or visualizations of the information out of those systems in a way that helps you look at not only what, you know, how are we doing today, but six months from now, what's changed. And to, to do that, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but to do it relatively easily compared to the incredible amount of manual work that would have been required previously. So yeah, the tools help us a lot. And I guess that really gets to the root of my question, just what what's possible now with respect to gathering the data, parsing the data, being able to then use the data in meaningful ways. And obviously technology is just, you know, changed uh, fundamentally what we're able to do as far as that goes. And so I mean, we've touched just now on, on technology, sort of broadly speaking. Uh, we've talked a bit about uh, uh, competencies, uh, which really has been, uh, it seems like a fast-evolving area. A, a lot of organizations um, focused much more on competency models. Um, what, what are some, some other trends that you're seeing out there, uh, you know, whether that's um, emerging practices, technologies, uh, whatever the science is showing in, in general, what really has you excited right now when you think about what's, what's possible in, in the field of learning and development? I think what has me excited are a couple of different things. The first is um, our ability to increasingly simulate the environments within which people work. I mean, on the technical side, look, we can, we can simulate, simulate a, um, an information system environment really, really well and provide all kinds of learning opportunities around that. But we're getting increasingly able to simulate what happens in, a non, in the non-technical aspects of the job of any job as well. Some of that has to do with the application of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. um, because as AI becomes more sophisticated, you know, 
five years from now, it's going to be questionable as to whether you'll be able to tell whether you're talking to an automated attendant or you are um, or you're talking to a real person up to some level of conversation. Right. And the more information that's fed into an AI system, the more that that automated attendant will be able to anticipate and provide you information that you need or help you with your questions or, or what have you. Now, if you combine that with adaptive learning, which is something else that, that I'm really um, excited about, you then create learning and development systems which get really, really smart at figuring out how competent is an individual in a specific area and providing them the level of learning and uh, the level of learning and development they need to develop a desired competency as efficiently as possible. So instead of you know making everybody go through 101, then 102, then 103, you know maybe maybe you need you know five minutes of 101 and then two days of 102. You can concentrate your time on 103 to get to a desired level of competence, and you've saved your time, you've saved the organization's time and the organization's money, and overall everybody's happier as a result. And this is important in a time when we're constantly going to be needing to learn new and different things. So, I mean, if, as I think about the future, that's that's what I see the future holding. Um, we're still, you know, a number of years from that. But on the other hand, the more I read about AI developing AI, um, maybe we're not that far off. Who knows? Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like the the ability to adapt in the way that you're talking about uh, is also going to drive the need to adapt. I mean, it seems like artificial intelligence and what it's going to enable machines to do is, is probably going to fundamentally change the competency map in a lot of organizations because many of those lower level competencies can be filled in by, by machines, by artificial intelligence, which is going to change what humans need to be able to do and drive the need for them to adapt to those, those new roles. So very, very exciting times uh, with, with what's possible now with the, with the technology. Well, I think that's that's entirely true, and I mean, look, you you can. Uh, I'll give you a very um, simplistic mechanical example where we may bypass some competencies altogether. A um, hundred years ago, you started a car by cranking it and turning a crank in the front of the car. Then, as you you know, as we move through the decades, you had to choke it, um, and you'd press the starter button on the floor. Then you might choke it and turn a key. Then you just turn a key. Now you sit, you get in the car and the keys in your pocket or in your purse or whatever, and you just push a button. Um, we don't need to crank cars. We don't need to know where the starter button is or to um, to um, to choke how to choke a, an automobile engine anymore in order to get it started. Um, you can see the same analogies with computer programming languages and so on. So you're right. After a while, the tools get better, and then after a while, even bypass the need for certain types of tools. So I, I would agree with you completely. Well, and while we're on this topic of adapting and evolving, we always like to ask our, our guests about their own practices when it comes to adapting and evolving. And uh, a question I'd like to, to put to you that we've started asking all of the guests on leading learning is, what's one of your own most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in specifically as an adult, you know, since finishing your formal education? Um, I'll tell you, and you're going to be you're going to be very surprised by this. Um, but it's it's because 
one of the things we can never forget is that we are humans and we do not evolve that quickly and mm-hmm. we are always dealing with the human. Um, and that is doing driver's ed with my daughter, <laughs> who um, is now almost 18 years old, but a couple of years ago, just before she turned 16 in Texas, where um, where we were living, you're allowed to do parent-taught driver's ed. And parent-taught driver's ed consists of an online program that the student needs to go through and that the parent needs to go through some of, followed by a minimum of 40 hours of behind-the-wheel training, um, where you as the parent get to do the ride-along um, white-knuckle thing. And the reason that this was so powerful for me as a learning experience was, first, it was you know hybrid or blended learning or whatever you want to call it. It was using technology to um, not only to convey information, but also to elicit a certain amount of genuine understanding on my daughter's part as she was going through the online program. But then the actual participation in um, in developing her skills, her hands-on skills, and her awareness, her situational awareness of where she was, what she was doing, what other people around her were doing, um, was a kind of a unique encapsulation of how much how much learning is the same and yet how much it has changed since I took driver's ed mm. 40 years before she did. Um, and, you know, some of it, it's the same because it's the same human thing. You've got, um, you've got a person who's better than you at something, who is helping you along with something, but you've also got different levels of technology in the vehicle. You've got um, different levels and different types of preparation. The preparation for her was much more active than the classes I remember sitting in, which were sleepers. Um, She had to actively be doing things, and she had to actively engage in some situational simulations. And so we'd have discussions when we were on the road um, in her her behind-the-wheel time of, oh, yeah, so that's what they meant by that. Or when she's driving downtown in in the middle of a thunderstorm at 8 o'clock, at night and the car starts to skid to one side and she says oh that's what they mean about the rear wheels slipping out from you and and um and it was just you know for me a very very powerful learning experience because it was so human because the technology was woven in seamlessly and um and yet i can see very much the the results and um, and the fact that it was very very personal results because I'm sure my experience with her was as unique to us as anybody else's experience with their own child would have been. That's great. I love that. I've uh, had many experiences with my own kids, uh, kind of covering ground as you're saying. You know that uh, that I, that I covered myself at some point in the past, and they're not old enough to, to drive yet, uh, but we're getting there. And you know, so d- different things day in and day out. It might be homework or, or something else, and you know, the context is different. The personalities are different. The technology is different. I'm different. Um, and you really do have to take into account that, that human component. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about when it comes right down to it. Well, Nick, it's been fantastic, uh, having the opportunity to to talk with you. Um, before we wrap up, uh, where can listeners go to, uh, find out more about SHRM and what you're up to there? And then are there ways that they can connect with you online? Absolutely. They can go to SHRM at www.SHRM.org. That's S-H-R-M dot O-R-G. They can get me at 
nshacht at sherm.org. So that's N-S-C-H-A-C-H-T at sherm.org. Or on LinkedIn, just look for Nick Schacht. And um, if you're looking Nick Schacht Learning and Development, I will probably show up on your screen. I believe that is true because I, I did that and you did, in fact, show up. So, Nick, <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for, for showing up today for this episode of Leading Learning. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Jeff. That concludes our interview with Nick Schacht. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 113. While you're there, you'll see a link for Review My LMS. If your organization uses a learning management system, we really urge you to get over to Review My LMS, leave a review, help your peers at other organizations make a good choice when they're faced with selecting an LMS. And while you're there, you will also see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. And as always, we like to say that if you are getting value out of the podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would click that subscribe button on whatever service you use to get your podcast. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That takes you to the right place. We would really appreciate five stars from you and a brief uh, text review of what you find interesting and valuable in the podcast. It makes us feel good to know that we're helping you and it helps others to find the podcast. And last but not least, please consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet. We've made that easy for you. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash share, and that will automatically pop up a tweet that you can just click send on and get it out to the world. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can take the text there or some words of your own, put them into any social network of your choice, whether that's LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you hang out, but let the world know about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.